Welcome to PR for Humans. I'm Mike Sargent. I'm on a mission to transform business leaders into world-class speakers and media performers. I help them find powerful true stories to lift the trajectory of their ventures, add value and reach audiences with authenticity and impact. My new book is PR for Humans, How Business Leaders Tell Powerful Stories, released April 2019. If you want to know how I can help your business and your leadership sound more human and deliver stories more powerfully, then email me direct via mike at prforhumans.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen, rate, review, follow, and share. There's no advertising here. This show is a labor of love and a gift to you. So if you're feeling generous, then let me know what you think. Share the love, share the knowledge, stay human, and stay curious. Welcome to another episode of the show in which we talk to interesting communicators and people who are interested in communications. And today I'm delighted we've got Fazana Baduel, who is here from Curzon PR. And Fazana, just, 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 just tell the, the listeners who you are, what you do. Very briefly. Well, I'm a PR and I love working in storytelling and I work around the world. So most of my work tends to come from South Asia, Middle East and Russia and the CIS. I love exploring other people's cultures and I love enabling them to communicate across borders. I tend to work with corporates and governments, but I've got a passion for the visual arts. And so I end up working for um, the visual arts industry as well. And um, and I started off working in media relations, and then as the PR industry obviously evolved, um, I now find myself doing all sorts of communications across various different platforms, and it's an ongoing journey. Yeah, because I mean, PR is a very hard thing to to define and to to pin down. I mean, public relations, relations with the public, uh, is very very broad. But when people think about PR, in my experience, people don't really know really know what it is or they define it in different in a way that's different to someone how someone else defines it so you, you take quite a broad view that it could almost could be anything that comes relates to communications in some way i think the definition of pr really um has evolved since its creation um and obviously it's, you know it's been PR has been in many forms throughout time but edward bernays who obviously was considered the godfather of pr and he actually was the nephew of Sigmund Freud. And what's quite interesting is that when he gave birth to the profession, it was very much anchored in psychology. And so he would often consult with a client and then he would go and consult with psychologists in order to find out the best way to shape the message and um, and that's how he would build his campaign and then of course with the um, with the printing press and with um, and the only form of mass communication was through newspapers then media relations became a core component um, and became synonymous with PR the term and then over the years, I think the psychology element has dropped, uh, which I think is quite sad. And um, and now what's happened is media relations is no longer the only channel to um, to the public. And so with the with social media, we've now started converging with marketing in creating our own content and putting a paid element on. And so we're, we're now really driving in each other's lanes. So PRs, marketers, uh, it's very difficult to distinguish between both of them. And is that is that a bad thing? I mean, do, do you think there should be a very clear line between 
um, what we this business I think called earned earned media, where we're we're not actually paying someone to put it out there, and and and, and paid media, where we are paying for 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 an advert or something else, or indeed. Uh, media on our own channels, the owned media, where we have our own uh, own, own ways of getting it out there. Do you, do you think that's a bad thing? Do you think the, 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 that we should have a very very clear line between what pure public relations is and what actually is more like marketing or advertising? Well, yeah. Again, for instance, if you look at marketing, they talk about fundamentally the four P's. If you look at public relations, it's really about how to um, how to have a strategic approach to communications between the client and um, and the public and public relations is broader than marketing in my opinion in the sense that public relations is multiple stakeholders whereas marketing is really focused upon one stakeholder which is the, the end customer and so for me I feel that m- marketing and public relations they overlap in areas but they are not exactly the same um, one of the key differentiating factors is that marketing focuses really on one stakeholder, public mm. relations multiple, so employees um, in the government relations as well as um, as well as customers and so forth, whereas marketing is very focused upon the on the, the end market. And the other areas marketing is concerned with more than just promotions. It's obviously product, uh, price, place. And so we do overlap. Um, I don't think public relations should be put into a little box of media relations of earned media because the media relations dominance only came about because of the dominance of, um, of the media and the fact that it was very difficult to communicate and it was the only channel available. All media relations is, is one of multiple channels available to communicate to the public. Mm. And just because it dominated for a few decades it doesn't mean it defines our industry no no and and i think i I like the emphasis on on public relations or pr not being about selling directly to the customer um but often you know it's thought of as being concerned really with reputation and that is that is a, a differentiator whereas you know marketing and advertising it's about getting your message to the people who are ultimately going to buy your stuff we're in the in the world of reputation uh and, which is in itself an interesting thing to to try to define uh, still less to to manage um but do, do you do you see yourself in the reputation game or 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 in the game of of of, of of publicity and awareness and and ha- where do you, where do you see the the distinctions if um, any well i i tend to bridge two separate areas one is the strategic storytelling aspect so it's really trying to connect with the client and understand exactly who they are and and what they're about and how they wish to communicate and and it's often a a, a path of of introspection and then understanding the broader landscape to make sure that there's clear differentiation between their stories and the other stories who are swimming in this in, a, in the same pool um, and then this the second part really is the communication piece which is really the amplification of the messages mm. going out to the specific um, stakeholders and um, and you know that is much more for doing so I find PR is 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 really the thinking and the doing piece and often because of a lack of budgets PRs have often been forced to go straight into the doing mm. um, and also because of a lack of understanding from perhaps the marketing directors or or um, some people have always been a little bit dismissive towards PRs, purely because perhaps we haven't been able to communicate what we do very effectively. Yeah, and it's this this is this is the, the core of it for me. This the strategic role of of public relations, and and I, and I really like the way that you framed it in terms of introspection and also seeing the context, which is which is two two things I I, 
I go into an, in 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 my book. You know, one one of those is, you know, we think of um, PR as being, you know, broadcasting or pushing a message out there, but very often to do that effectively, you've got to look inside first, particularly if you're working with an individual leader or um, a CEO, someone at the top of the business. They've got to find out who they are first and connect their story to the to the story of the of the business which is um which is not, what a lot of people in pr don't seem to be doing that but they, they, they don't seem to be actually talking about introspection or, or or looking at yourself or finding your strategic story but they'll and we we're dismayed by this but they they will they will just talk about the mechanics of you know your social media or you know your press releases or your media engagement plan or this that and the other but it's the strategic bit that's so powerful like i think I think it's just, unfortunately, because of the dominance of media relations, it has just pigeonholed PRs as tactical, and the budgets that were allocated um, only left enough room for pure tactical implementation, and there wasn't sufficient time in planned and campaigns for the research and the strategic piece. Mm. But now with social media and the importance of content creation and the demand of consumers um, and the public wanting more authenticity, I think we'll find that the PR industry will move towards its more sort of thinking nature and strategic piece. Mm. Because you can't um, make something terrible seem wonderful just by spraying PR on the top of it. Can no, you? I, I think, you know, there's, I think with the dominance of media relations, it enabled you to control perceptions mm. um, between, you know, the, those who the the journalists who had the editorial control and the public and now because of social media that control element has withered away and so now it's what's you know what the situation that we have is everybody can have a have can deliver commentary upon your brand be it a, a personal brand or you know a, a corporate brand and as a result you have to be authentic mm. and so and that need for authenticity then also um leads us down the path of understanding the client and being more strategic and making sure that what they are is aligned with what they do and what they say mm. because the reputational risk of non-alignment um, results in the destruction of the brand and the destruction of trust which goes viral yeah and that's that's fascinating uh, and and because pr as the search for for the truth which is what i'm trying to uh, convince my clients of that actually we need to tell find true stories and tell them powerfully and so this is not about trying to put a, 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 a spray on um, a veneer of who you'd like to be out there it's about finding out who you really are mm -hmm. and making sure that who you are what you do and the story you tell about all of that it all hangs together <laughs> and so many journalists and I didn't understand this when I was a journalist I mean and, and this and it's so distorted by the whole you know hacks versus flax thing and the idea that the PR people are others are, are spin doctors and trying to dissemble and, and lead you away from the truth and the journalists are the people seeking the truth and what I'm trying to explain to people is that we're both on the same side you know, as storytellers seeking the truth. And a lot of mm -hmm. people may laugh at that in the journalist world and think I've completely gone gone crazy. But but I think I think now, because of the radical transparency of social media, there is there isn't something in that. And it's not that all PRs are doing that, but if you don't do it, there is the risk, as you say, that you'll get found out over time. And that's the that can be 
terrible for your reputation. I mean, there's stress, I think, with the, um, with the PRs and the journalists. The journalists, fundamentally, they need to write content that will engage the public. And, um, and unfortunately, the human psyche is such that we pay more attention to negative news than positive news, um, which is why when you read the newspapers, um, there is just... If, and if you look at the sentiment of the articles, the majority of them actually have a negative sentiment. Mm. And you know, and, and this have to be increasingly sensationalised because you know I don't know whether or not it's true or not, but some people say we have increasing levels of ADD, and so perhaps the sensationalism of articles and stories have to be even more. And then you've got the rise of clickbait, and so journalists are under immense pressure in order to produce stories that do resonate, and then that could lead them into taking a bias towards um, a negative sentiment. And I think from the PR perspective, they want to tell authentic stories, but they are constrained by the budget and the ego of their client. Yeah, and, and you don't want to tell negative stories about yourself. Yes, yes, exactly. And, and it takes huge amounts of um, self-confidence to be able to authentically talk about yourself and talk about you know, uh, your mistakes mm. as well. But that that's something which can connect you to, to, to an audience. On a much deeper level. On a much deeper level yeah. and can, can inspire loyalty if, if you're someone who, who can stand up on that platform or sit yeah. down in a media interview and not try to give the impression that you're this perfect yeah. human being yeah. but actually that we're all flawed we're all we've all um, we've all failed in different ways and somebody who's prepared to accept that and say that mm. um connects with an audience very very powerfully because we're seeing a real human being up there yeah but uh, but i i i i get um, you know what you're saying about negativity in journalism definitely true and and one of the reasons I left journalism was I couldn't stand the negativity anymore. You know, the, yeah. the, the death, disaster, destruction, scandal, resignation. Um, everything was so darn negative. And that's why I love PR, because you're on the positive side. Yeah. Um, but you're using the same set of, of skills. And, and I think it's not necessarily that journalists want to be negative. It's, the, it's, a, it's a weakness in, in human nature that when things go wrong, they go wrong quickly spectacularly sometimes and when things go right it takes time it's a less interesting story you know mm. progress is always a less interesting story than calamity um so just to, let's just scroll back and tell me how how you how you got into the pr world and and what what your what your journey was to, to get to the uh God, lofty heights it, 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 it was quite a, con it was a convoluted <laughs> journey um well i think like uh, i was brought up in a british asian um household and so we had no idea about um, professions other than um, food or finance or medicine, um, you know, or Uber driving, even though Uber driving wasn't around when I was a kid. Mm. Um, but we had, I remember growing up and a lot of the people in my family had, had um, you know, very specific sort of professions. And it, was, it tended to be sort of accountants, bankers, dentists, doctors, um, and... And I and, and and lawyers. And it was very much, um, you know, we were sort of taught to just get good grades at school and go into the professions. Mm. And it was um, and it was very much we were sort of taught to go to professions where uh, at the time there was a fair amount of racism, and so we were always taught to go into professions where um, it's not your progress doesn't have to be intangible. 
you just pass the exams and you'll get the job and your progression through that through that career is very much based upon qualifications it's a very fixed route to, to progression um, because that minimizes any chance of racial bias yeah. and so and that was a sort of considered view of of my family my community and so it was very much you know go into these areas where it's less subjective and much more objective to um and you know to your abilities and so um and so i studied I ended up studying maths and um, and economics, and um, and I actually ended up running a tax company for ten years. And tax, you know, of course, is very binary. And so, and I actually loved it. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I um, and I left university after my second year, thinking I was going to go back. And then I set up this tax refund business because I was broke, um, and I saw an opportunity, and I did it. And then what happened is, after a year, this woman called me up, called Anna. From um, a, from a competitor agency, and she said to me, you know, I've heard that you're a young, you know, girl who's just left university and you've started up, started up in the same business as mine. I'd like to pass you my ten year practice because um, she was dying of cancer. And I said to her, I have absolutely no money to pay you. I can pay you a commission. She said, I don't need anything where I'm going. Just treat the clients with respect. And so hang on a second. Yeah. This is an extraordinary thing for somebody to say. I know. To you, yes, uh, and. I'm just passing you my entire practice. Ten years she'd built the practice. Because I'm dying of cancer. Yeah. Why you? What, what, how we did were, that happen? We were advertising, uh, we both um, were advertising next to each other in an um, Antipodean magazine because we specialise in um, Antipodean tax refunds. And, um, and so she must have asked the publisher, who are these people? And he must have said, you know, this, this young girl who's set up. And at the time, I had a basement office in Covent Garden, um, and I used my student loan to pay for my um, sort of deposit for the office. And, and I even had a little quilt in the office, and I used to sleep there <laughs> and wake up before the cleaners came. Um, and, um, and so I, mean, I was having a great time. It's, you know, it's so exciting setting up a business. And, um, but then overnight, I, I got this, and it was extraordinary. I mean, just that level of kindness. And, I, and then I said, can I meet you? And she refused to meet me. And she said, you know, I'd like to spend my time with my daughter, my, my last six months or however long she had left. So I never met her. Her name was Anna Marco. And she just taught me that there are, you know, you can have immense kindness from absolute strangers who mm. want nothing back. And it really touched me. And so, um, so then, and then all of a sudden my practice just ballooned. And then I ended up moving into Knightsbridge and getting a sports car and acting really flash and nouveau riche and, um, because I'd never seen money before like this. And so it was extraordinary. And um, I had the time of my life. And then um, and it was, the business was running quite well. And then the Labour government, who were in power at the time, and they brought in some legislation that really started negatively impacting my sales because I was specialising in, in other industries at the time. And um, I was really annoyed. And so I joined the Conservative Party um, because I was really annoyed. Well, that was a reaction to, to, yeah. to, the, to the measures that had come in. Be yeah. Because I saw what they were tinkering around with the Finance Act and I was working and I was doing, I was doing tax refunds for builders and for foreigners. And I saw all the tinker around with working family tax credits and all the complexity they were bringing in and how it actually had a negative impact upon um, working class families. And, um, and I just, I felt so angry. And also they didn't really consult heavily with, with our industry. They just rolled out legislation and kept on changing it every six months. And, mm -hmm. um, and I just thought it was, and I remember, you know, there was some very um, 
there were some families who come to me and they said, you know, we try and call and register, nobody's answering the the phone, and then we can't backdate it, and it was all a mess. And um, and I just so I joined the Conservative Party and I became um, their vice chair for the business forum. And um, so my job was to promote the party in the business community, and I just it was just so natural to me. And um, and then I learned about public relations and perceptions, and and I just thought it was the most magical. Um, discipline I've ever encountered because it's a mixture of advocacy, media, marketing, psychology and storytelling and you know it's just it was just it, it, I mean I just I fell in love with the industry mm. but yet I knew nothing about it <laughs> but but you, you just saw there was this this wonderful thing that you hadn't sort of considered before I had that was no actually a, a, a job uh, that you could do yeah and I had no idea um and I remember saying to my father, you know, I, I, I'd like to go into public relations. And he said, well, what, what is public relations? Just aggravated socialising. And, <laughs> and he said, it isn't a profession. Because, you know, again, the very, you know, Asian mentality, you must go into professions because it gives you stability um, and employment. Um, and we weren't really brought up with an idea of following a path that isn't following your curiosity. It was very much get a job that is financially secure and mm. stable um which i think is a very much an immigrant mentality perhaps um and so um so i just you know i really wanted to get involved and um but then i thought to myself how am i going to do it because i still need to run my tax business and so i just um i at the time i was on the board of the institute of directors their sort of board committee for um, young directors and there was a pr on the board and i said you know can I hire you and can you teach me what PR is and how to do it? And he said, um, he said, well, why don't we do it together? And I said, fine. And, um, and so he was the sweetest thing and used to, um, and he basically taught me for two years. Um, and then he, and he was hardly making any money. And so he mm. said, listen, I, I can't continue to just work and not make any money. So he was headhunted for tech. Mm. Um, but he was very sweet. He used to, um, help me after work and in and, and, and on weekends and so he taught me taught me quite a lot and what were the what were the lessons the early lessons of of pr what did you learn first how i mean the, the focus on pr i think the early lessons was um that pr is actually quite a difficult um area to understand and to be able to communicate to your clients mm. um so our biggest challenges were really selling pr and um, and trying to retain the client, <laughs> yeah. Because often the client would think we're like magicians and would wave a magic wand, and you know miraculously they'll be in the front cover of the FT mm. when perhaps they you know run one or two dry cleaners in you know South London, and um, and so yeah, the expectation gap, yeah, uh, and which is always a, a difficult one. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was it was very difficult to be able to um, communicate what public relations is and um, to clients and to maintain their expectations. And I think that still is, you know, I mean, it's less so for me now because um, I take great lengths before contract with the client to really ensure that they completely understand what they're buying mm. um, so that, you know, there is no sort of fallout at the end of it. But I remember that being a huge issue. Yeah, because it's 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 such a hard... We know it's powerful and we know it's important. Yeah. And in fact, I would go as far as to say it's very hard to have a successful business without good communications. Yeah. Um, but demonstrating that value 
and and particularly knowing where the value is yeah. you know whether it's in the strategy or in the delivery and 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 that kind of sense of oh I'll just hire I'll hire a PR agency for for you know 3 weeks and they can then get me yeah. a whole bunch of coverage no yeah. <laughs> it yeah. does, doesn't work like that yeah. does it no it it, um, it it doesn't it's it's a very um it's very rewarding profession, but it's a very demanding profession. And for me, I've only been in it um, for as long as I have, purely out of love for it. Mm. Because there are easier professions to make money yeah. um, than public relations. And when, so when does, it, when does it work well and, and with, with whom? I mean, what, what's, when, can, when can PR be at its most powerful in your experience? I think it's in the strategic side. Mm. is actually bringing an external perspective to a client and developing a core story for them and to then help them understand the context, so the landscape that they are operating in. And then to the final part is to build their communication skills and then seeing the results. Mm. And it's wonderful, actually. It's, it, and it doesn't happen to all of our clients, um, but there are some clients who even five years, you know, down the line they still meet up with me and just thank me mm. for um for that initial work and often i think especially for leaders it's a very lonely existence and sometimes it's very difficult to speak to your own direct team mm. because you don't want to share your vulnerability so having an external counsel um a strategic pr thinker i think is invaluable to leaders today and however good good we are you know as as, as ceos or as leaders to have somebody who's on the outside yeah. looking at us and, and giving that perspective it's something that you you just can't you can't do and, yeah. I, and I think that there's lots of sort of different roles for for a, a pr but the, the 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 person who can sort of speak truth to power is is one of them and give that perspective that you couldn't give within the organization yeah. you know and if if you're directly employed by a ceo it's quite hard to give that honest advice that you could give or maybe i could give because you know ultimately we can walk away and do yeah. walk away yeah. and and that's they're kind of paying us because we can walk away it's, it's and it's a an interesting thing so what's um tell me about the the, the business that you've grown and where, where you work and um how your approach to pr might be different from others out there um so it's been nine years mm. and um and in those nine years i just I was so inexperienced about public relations as well as the industry that all I did um, was really look around the industry and ape what everybody else was doing. Mm. And so, um, so I just set up a traditional agency model. Um, initially, we were charging quite low budgets, which meant we had very junior and experienced staff. Um, so then I spent a lot of my time working on processes and quality control and onboarding and so forth. Um, and then we started attracting more and more clients, um, perhaps because of my sort of, um, you know, mixed cultural background, I attracted a lot of foreigners mm. um, who were coming into the UK because they perhaps understood that I'm a little bit of a cultural chameleon because I'm quite comfortable in multiple different cultures because it's the way I was brought up. And so, um, so we just started developing a niche in, um, in certain markets. And then, um, and then what happened over time is... We just started to grow, and at um, at one point we had an office in Dubai and an office in New York as well as in London, and um, and for me I thought it was my ultimate dream. It's mm. exactly what I wanted, but it was 
um, it was awful actually it was um, you had all these huge overheads so you had to say yes to every and every client or every lead even though if you felt it wasn't right um, they weren't the right fit for you and um, and you're just firefighting staff issues client issues and cash flow issues because um, the volatility um, and the uncertainty of client income um, you had to then balance it with the sort of certainty of monthly payments of salaries mm. which every month you have to deliver um, and I found that very challenging and so um, and then what ended up happening is you then ended up taking clients below your minimal minimal threshold and then that brings all sorts of issues um, and so then I realized I was just a hamster on a hamster wheel mm. um, and I and when I started about three years ago I started developing um, the core service of strategy and and I absolutely loved working with clients on strategy and um, and I was good at it it was actually what they really wanted me for. Um, and so I realized that was the actual value that they wanted me for. And then I thought, my God, I haven't been strategic with myself. I've just aped the model on you know, in the market. And then I thought, well, actually, what would work well for me? And so um, I realized that I wanted to really work with clients that were aligned to my values. And I didn't want to compromise my integrity by taking on any client, uh, just because I've got fixed amount of overheads to meet. Um, and so, and I wanted to do quality work. Mm. And so what I did is I then completely changed the model. And now um, we're agile working and um, and I've got a outsourced back office and then I've, which is the sort of HR, you know, and so forth. And then um, in different countries. And then I have a, and then I work with consultants on the mid office and in the front office are sort of the core team. And so I've worked in that way to give me the flexibility that I don't have to take on clients um, in order to just meet the overheads. Mm. So I've managed to basically have a bridge between the expenses, the outgoings and the income. Which which is, is good and now, and now possible in a way that I guess it, it wasn't, 10 years ago in a way partly because yeah. of technology and flexible working and yeah. you know the way that and, and I think lots of agencies do get into that trap don't they where they yeah. they start they have an office they start bringing in lots of junior people and then people want to move up the pyramid and yeah. the thing one thing I thought being in a PR agency for three years was this this sort of thing has to grow or yeah. else it collapses yeah you know there's no other way yeah. a, P, a PR agency it, very hard just to be stable yeah. at a certain amount of fee income and a nice group of people, yeah. you know, because those people want to move up yeah. and they they want to get promoted and then other people want to come in and at, you at the top want to grow this thing and so it has to kind of grow, 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 grow yeah. and and it can't yeah. it can't really go on forever and yeah. and and it's I just I also think you know there's just some fundamental challenges to the model now which I guess yeah. that you're you, you're seeing and you're finding a, a position in the market which is but more fun for a start for you than trying to trying to run an agency with all the moving parts. And I also found it quite boring and repetitive, the tactical parts. And I and I really like the strategy. And so 80% of our income as of last year um, comes mm. from strategy work. Mm. And so therefore, um, and, you know, bringing in graduates and training them, it, it wasn't really um, relevant to our new model. 
And so now we tend to work with very experienced people. Um, and the beauty of the model is, um, is because we're agile working, we work with consultants around the world. And we have, um, you know, part of our team, we have people in India, we have people in Argentina, in Vancouver, mm. in Moscow, um, in London. And it's so much fun. It's so interesting. Yeah, it's yeah. Like so much fun. And we have all of our video calls and, you know, we use Slack and, um, and you know, and I'm often, and I love traveling. So I travel a lot in order to build those relationships with the team, mm. um, which I think is important to be able to, to meet face to face and and working around the world in these different locations do, do, do you sense there's a there's there are different approaches to what we mean by pr and what people oh, want i mean and so do people get it uh, in certain parts of the world certain geographies where you work or is it, is it you have to kind of go back to first principles and explain um, what you do, do you i mean i've worked with prs around the world and i really think that the the UK PRs are in a class of their own. And I think the reason why we're good is because our journalists are good. So if you think back in terms of PR, where media relations dominated for so many years, um, the PRs had to step up in order to be on the same level as the UK journalists and pitch to them. And I think the UK um, journalists, they tend to be you know, of a totally different calibre to what I see around the world. So you often would have a journalist who went to Oxford or Cambridge and then they pursue a career in journalism. They're very mission-orientated as opposed to sort of money-orientated. And um, and so the journalist, you know, often has... The journalists that I come across in the UK anyway, um, they often are sort of higher calibre, more demanding. They have a sense of integrity, um, you know, and they're very difficult. And they also name and shame us PRs. I mean, they have been constantly, you send them the wrong press release or with a typo and they'll put it on Twitter and go for you. Um, and I think in a funny sort of way, because of the hostility from UK journalists yeah. and the fact that toughen, actually, toughen you know, I, mean, I, I, I do think that, you know, they are brilliant British journalists. Um, I think as a result, we've had to step up because when I was pitching in other in other countries, it was just so easy. And in some countries, which is awful, um, it was very much pay to play, which was so depressing that the in some countries, um, the journalists you basically pay them for editorial coverage, mm. and which I never did. But it was often the um, you know it, it was it was the actual the modus operandi in those countries I was absolutely shocked and so you can imagine the PRs don't really have to be very good to pitch the journalists because you just have to pay them yeah and this which and, is an and, advertorial and back to the expectations gap and then people who are from um other countries and that they they come to London yeah, they, they how want, much for the front you know, cover why, it's like, why can't uh, you get no. me onto the front and, page yeah and, and they, they don't something. understand because also yeah. you know the power mm. in other countries they control the media mm. so if you're from a powerful family or a powerful company or you're a powerful minister you expect the western journalists to play ball and I'm incredibly proud that they don't um, because the integrity that a lot of the western journalists have I do not see that around the world um purely because of um you know because there are publishing houses who just do not follow the same principles because of perhaps the political situation that they're in or the economic situation that they're in um and that's why i think you know bbc and washington post and the new york times and so forth why these media houses are so powerful mm. is because of that trust mm. and um but i do i i do wonder how sustainable it is as their budgets are reducing and um, and so therefore they're beginning to cut their journalist teams and then 
journalists are relying more on PRs to provide, provide them information. They don't have assistance to actually verify and fact check. And so I think as um, the journalists, you know, I think their budgets are getting cut and their staffing resources are getting cut. I think the, you know, the important things that the PRs operate in a very ethical way and make sure that they fact check because the money's moved over to us. Mm, mm. And, so, and, and those those big news brands are still very very powerful and influ- influential even in a world of social media and you can put in your own channels and yeah. everything else but the, those the, the stamp of editorial approval is is important but I, but even in my time in journalism i was seeing seeing resources getting stretched and stretched and stretched yeah. and i think you know I, I i joined the bbc in in 2000 uh the year 2001 and then i yeah. left in 2014 and over that time i just i saw you know budgets being squeezed every two three years again and again um and people doing more you know so i started out you were working on one program like breakfast where yeah. i spent three years and then when i was in the middle east i was filing stories for for bbc world world service radio six o'clock news news channel online on demand you know it was crazy yeah but 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 it was a lot of fun a lot of fun but um but yeah journalist resources under 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 massive massive strain definite increasing reliance on 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 pr as, as you say and and if you look at any and one thing I did point out to some some colleagues, particularly colleagues, former journalists, who say, "What are you doing?" You, you look at the stories that are put out every day. Yeah, they all they all have some kind of PR element. Yeah, the BBC website, every single even the police stories and the crashes and the someone somewhere in a press office or in a communications team will have influenced that outcome. Yeah, so I think um, yeah, good PR, massively important and, and necessary and, and honest PR. Yeah, but I guess in some of the parts of the world that 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 you you're operating in, those those principles and those values can be can be stretched, and, uh, yeah. and it's up to you to, I guess, not just be a, a communications advisor, but a but a bit of a kind of ethical advisor as well at times. Is that right? Yes, I, I think you know what's uh, a lot of what I do is is when I work with certain markets is to try and communicate to them the importance of um, of authenticity mm. and how if you make a claim that you're the best in XYZ you have to have strong pillars to support the claim um, and it can't just be puff and so, um, so I think what's happened is in certain developed markets public relations have, has as a profession moved to a, um, a more authentic place because mm. they understand the repercussions of um, being inauthentic, and um, and in certain markets they have yet to understand. Yeah, and we also see a lot of change, te- technology changes influencing the way that communications is is done. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things I tried to get to in, in in my book is is yes, we've got ai yes we've got new digital tools yes we've got new metrics and ways of measuring things and indeed ways of of propagating messages if 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 that is your chosen activity but it's still in my view and i think in yours too i I don't put words into your mouth it still comes down to to the human storytelling yeah the timeless principles of, of human storytelling which um are just as important maybe even more important yeah in a world of of social media and technology and confusion and and vast overwhelming quantities of data that nobody can hope to process and cut through or make any sense of but we look for the leaders we look for the for the human beings we look for the authentic 
people mm. who can kind of help us yeah. <laughs> through and guide us through. Yeah. Um, and so, so that that makes me quite optimistic about about our profession in a way that yes. that 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 the human advisors, the storytellers, are always going to be important. Do you, do you agree, or do you think that one day we could we, we could our jobs could be done by machines? God, well, actually, I mean, I recently went on um, on a course, um, and it was by a professor, Robert McKee, who talks about storytelling, mm. and he's actually broken it down to an actual formula. Right. And he advises, you know, Star Wars and and all those, you know, great sort of um, storytellers um, in film. And he actually has broken it down, and he's broken it down in terms of um, what you need and the character development and so forth. I think we are far away from uh, robots taking over our our place. I think the analysis and the measurement side, um, and even the copywriting side, so some really pure tactical pieces, obviously, can be increasingly automated, which it's being done. But I think the core understanding the essence and wrapping it around an engaging story, I think we're safe for at least another decade. Yeah, yeah. keep us going for yeah, a bit. Yeah. Keep us going for a bit. <laughs> Great. Well, uh, I really enjoyed this conversation, Fazana. Thank you so much for, for coming on, on my podcast um, and supporting me with the launch of my book as well, which <laughs> is um, is coming out, as, as, as I've said, in April. Yeah. Uh, so April the, the, the 4th uh, is, our, is our launch party and um, pre-orders are on or on Amazon now, PR for humans, with me, Mike Sargent. So um, that's it for today. Thank you all for listening to, to the podcast, and thank you to my wonderful guest. Thank Hazan. you. Thank you for having me.